the other point is that uh, increasing the amino acid density will help you to make a better use of all your uh, amino acids uh, as, as we increase the density and pigs will grow better. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. Genesis, the first power in genetics. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Evonik Animal Nutrition. Evonik stands for a holistic and sustainable value proposition for livestock production. It combines products and services and leverages digital solutions. This is all backed with high-value consultancy and deep customer understanding. Evonik turns science-based efficient nutrition, sustainable healthy nutrition, and precision livestock farming into value for customers and consumers. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Maria Mendoza, who is a research manager for Evonik. Maria, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Laura? Doing very well. We're so excited to have you on today, Maria. Um, I know you from various meetings and, and interactions, but some of our audience may not be familiar with you. And so I think before we jump into our topic at hand, maybe give a little bit of an introduction about yourself. Sure. Thanks, Laura. Uh, well, I've been with Evonik Animal Nutrition for four years, and my first role with Evonik was as a swine, a swine uh, technical service manager. And very recently, a um, few weeks ago, I'm transitioning to a new role, which is the swine research manager on a global basis. So I'm very excited for, for the opportunity and the, the new role. Previous to Evonik, I was uh, working with Biomin America uh, for a couple of years and as a, also a technical service manager. And before Biomin, I was working on my master and PhD at North Carolina State um, under the direction of Dr. Eric Van Huchend. And previous to that, I'm very glad to say that I had the great opportunity to work in production. I worked for Smithfield Foods for two years and that just really creates a lot of um, I guess understanding of the swine industry and production in big scales. Me as a person from um, Ecuador, and we don't have such a large production systems and it was an eye-opening opportunity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that introduction. And so being from North Carolina, living in that area for a period of time and, and currently knowing what's going on, at least here in the U.S., is we're in summer and I know North Carolina gets really hot in the summer, and certainly here in the Midwest, we're, we're getting notifications that another heat wave is coming next week. And, and so it always brings up those questions around what do we do or what can we do to help mitigate heat stress for animals? And, and so let's really kind of jump in there and let's talk a little bit 
about heat stress? Well, yes, some of the suggestions that uh, we have um, with, I mean, in Evonik that we have worked on and, and looking for not just uh, improving in performance, but also being economical feasible is diet modification. And one of the uh, recommendations in, that we have is increasing the um, amino acid density in the diet, because we know that during heat stress, uh, especially older pigs or heavier pigs uh, will be more sensitive to heat stress and they will drop uh, feed intake. And this can depend on the, the age of the animal, the body weight, and also how hot is in, in the barn, right? Mm -hmm. And this is not something like is a number that you have, we recommend 10, 20 or percentage of increasement in, in amino acid density, but it's really related to the production, the particular production system. So if the producer already know, or he expects a drop in feed intake of 10% or 20%. So this will be the recommendation that we suggest. So if you expect a 10% reduction in feed intake, it will be um, ideal that you could increase the amino acid density by 10% because this will help to uh, compensate for those lack of nutrient, and so the pig can still gain uh, muscle and, and grow. Mm -hmm. So Maria, one of the things that pops into my head that I think we have this question all the time, is it total crude protein that we want to reduce or is it, you know, increased lysine by that amount or how do we balance the crude protein and the, the specific amino acids when feed intake goes down? Yeah, well, <clears throat> this is an important question because while we know that if we can increase the amino acid density, the pigs will perform uh, better, right? And we have two choices, either we increase soybean meal or, or a source of, of uh, ingredient with higher crude protein, right? Or we use synthetic amino acids. And while both could work, the there's still an advantage of using Amino acids, synthetic amino acids rather than uh, crude protein. Because of uh, the main reason will be that, um, as we know, crude protein, when animals use it, they have to produce heat. And during the summer, um, that doesn't really help. So we try to create diets that can help the animal not to produce as much metabolic heat and at the same time have enough of the amino acids. And when you reduce the, the crude protein in the diet, you actually open up more space for net energy, which is ideal. Um, as we know today, we are struggling with um, energy in diet formulation because of the prices. And that just open up more space for energy. And, and that can, is, I think, dual benefits, amino acids and energy at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you bring up another really good point is what do we do with, with energy today? Do you have any suggestions on things, ingredients that we should be considering for an energy component when maybe fat isn't readily available? Are there other options to be thinking about? Well, that's a, a hard question. I think everybody's scratching their heads. Um, we're trying to, I think, you know, we have ingredients. I mean, 
corn DDGS that we typically use to balance the diets. And are in the US, the, really the main contributors of, of energy in our diets. And we don't have that many choices. Um, and I think more than maybe looking for other ingredients, because there is not, is knowing the value of energy in these ingredients. Um, there is perhaps still a few people that are um, maybe dragging their feet to move from metabolizable energy to net energy. And I think this can be, this is the right time. Uh, if, if they were dragging their feet to do it, I think there is no really more time to not do it. And well, and, and I think there is within um, some of the ingredients, I would say there's more variability, like DDGS, we know it has more variability than corn. And in this case, I think what we recommend and is or encourage people is to analyze their, their ingredients to have a more control of their suppliers and classify their suppliers, but who is providing me what, so I can formulate the diets more accurate. For which I think NIR can be a great tool. Um, it's, um, it's so rapid that you have your results within two, three minutes. And, you know, I think even just by classifying your suppliers, that is a huge advantage. It gives you a lot of power in diet formulation. And uh, there is really today no space to waste money. And this is a good opportunity to be more accurate in, in, in entering the right nutrient and energy loadings to, to, to the ingredients when we formulate diets. Mm -hmm. I agree. One of the conversations we've had recently uh, is kind of focused around energy value and assigning value. So I think it's maybe a good conversation. And, you know, if this is something that you're not an expert in, don't worry about it. I'm just kind of picking people's brains as I as I talk. But we have a conversation around what energy value do we assign soybean meal and how does it relate relative to corn and kind of forecasting forward, if you will. Um, the discussions that we're having today where soybean meal might actually be more readily available in the next two years if we listen to some of our, our financial forecasters. Um, how do you view soybean meal in terms of energy relative to corn? Yeah, this is a, a hot topic right now. Um, and um, there is um, some research suggesting that the energy value of soybean meal is higher than first the NRC 2012, and even some um, data showing that could be even higher than corn. Um, this was very interesting, and I think everybody was trying to understand what was happening. And I think that, uh, well, it could be that it could be that it has more value, more energy value than the, than the NRC says. Um, I think there is still more needed more research to validate those numbers. And the fact that it's quite spread, um, I mean, we're talking about 100% energy value compared to corn or 120% or 80% or 85%. So that is such a big range that I think we need to study more those numbers. Mm -hmm. And another big point when we do research, when we um, you know, remove soybean meal and we compensate it with crystal amino acids. Um, in my opinion, sometimes we lacked 
or we don't do a proper analysis of the feed ingredients and then we formulate diets and we might be uh, deficient in some of the essential amino acids that can cause a drop of, of in performance. And um, this is something that with in Evonik we have been studying a lot and happened sometimes that when we reformulate the diets, we noticed that there was a potentially some deficiency in the essential amino acids and also non-essential amino acids. So I think that formulating diets, uh, low in crude protein or reducing the level of crude protein is still advantageous for the pigs. There is really an art on how to do it right. And that means knowing your ingredients and once you establish the conclusions, really make sure that you do a feed analysis and, and, and know that those amino acids were there for sure. Um, something that we have seen in the as regards non-essential amino acids is that now, the animals still need that pool of nitrogen to create all their amino acids. And one recommendation that we have in Evonik is to put uh, in feed formulation, use a maximum constraint of the SID lysine to crude protein to guarantee enough non-essential amino acids. And that will be the number 6.9. Um, I mean, some people like to be more conservative and go a little bit lower, uh, but it's still, I mean, if we have that constraint, if it formulation is just gonna help us to uh, reduce any chance of not seeing a good response when removing uh-huh, soybean meal. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point because I think that's some of the conversation I've heard is, well, in two years, what if soybean meal is so cheap that synthetics aren't really feasible? How do we counteract that in the summer? And I think that's an absolute great conversation is that we still are probably going to have to consider that because the return on the investment or the economic input will be such that the synthetics will still provide that value back um, because they'll reduce the heat increment in the diet. And I like the fact that you're giving us a number. So ideal lysine relative to crude protein, because when you first started talking, right, I think we've all done that. We're all guilty as nutritionists of, well, if a little is good, let's put a lot more synthetic amino acids in a diet and, and really drive that cost down, particularly when soybean meal price was high. And we saw actually the opposite, right? In, in particularly in summer months, we saw a, a poorer feed efficiency because we had gone, you know, well below that crude protein, lysine to crude protein ratio. And so I, I think that's really good that you're kind of bringing that all in as a good reminder to folks that it's more than just making one little change in the diet, that we have to consider multiple factors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, in theory, practically, you should be using constraints for all your essential amino acids. Um, and isn't it? Yeah, I think this is this is really a must. Or otherwise, you will not see uh, benefits, or you're taking the re a high risk. I would say, and um, this is important to create awareness that it's not just to formulate a cheap diet, really to make, you know, to reduce the feed cost per pound of gain. Um, that to me, it's in the end what measure your efficiency on your diet formulation. Absolutely. Well, I'm gonna jump over to another conversation. We'll, we'll stay with amino acids, but we, and we talk a lot about lysine 
obviously it's the first limiting amino acid and it's the one that we formulate based around, but are there other amino acids that we should be thinking about during the summer months that could have uh, potential benefit to our pigs? Yeah, that's a, a, a good question. I, as we know, you know, many of the roles of amino acids of some of the, or amino, the amino acids go beyond protein synthesis. We have in the case of methionine, such important amino acid for the immune system and especially the antioxidant balance in the body. And we know that during heat stress, um, all the physiological changes that uh, the pigs carry out, the, the problem is that they accumulate more reactive oxygen species. And as we know, these are very dangerous molecules that damage cells. Um, and this means that we should, during heat stress, the body demands more antioxidants to keep that balance of counteract the, the reactive oxygen species. So uh, we have conducted very interesting research where we were looking at the incrementing levels of methionine um, about the recommendations of the NRC and, and, and exposed peaks to heat stress. And we saw a response on the level. Uh, we observed that when during heat stress, when pigs were fed at 120% of the methionine recommendations given by the NRC or above, uh, pigs um, adapt better to the heat. Um, they were able to increase their average daily gain, the gain to feed. And that uh, shows also that uh, by during these circumstances, it could be that methionine become more limiting. And we saw also that when we look at the amino acids in the plasma of these pigs, we also saw a greater utilization of lysine and, and threonine. So it's very interesting because that means that by adding that extra methionine in the diet, you're using your lysine and your other amino acids better, which under these circumstances, this is what you want. You want that you the, the pig under heat stress be able to utilize that lysine and the other amino acids. Otherwise, it's a waste. You're wasting your, your money there. Um, and not only the growth of the pigs were improved, but also when we look at parameters that can reflect antioxidants, um, um, homeostasis in the body, like glutathione, it also was uh, improved when methionine was increased at 120%. So just to put numbers more into context, um, NRC for this size of pigs that were about uh, 50 kilograms, um, they recommend 0.20 ASID, license, uh, SID methionine. And what we test uh, was 0.34, uh, the, the level of, of methionine that we use in the diets and we saw improvements. Um, and we're economically feasible because the pigs are using the, the feed better. Mm -hmm. So just to be clear, is that then we just want to be focusing on how much methionine we're putting in the diet, or do you still put that relative to lysine? Uh, you can still do it relative to lysine. I think this is more practical for feed formulation. And uh, yeah, we can convert those numbers to the methionine to, uh, to lysine ratio or M plus C. Okay, yeah, so we can 
we can take some time and we can look through our, our literature and, and look through our NRC and kind of come up with those numbers. But that's what I was curious about when you're, particularly when you're talking about how it improves the efficiency of lysine and tryptophan by increasing methionine, then I would assume we still want to keep some type of ratio relative um, to at least to lysine, if not maybe even consider maybe there's a trypto, tryptophan to methionine ratio that we may need to be thinking along, uh, along down the road too. I think it's it makes more sense to to put it on those units because this is how we formulate diets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing that came to my mind was tryptophan. Um, many individuals recommend an increase in tryptophan to lysine ratio in the summer months as well, right? To improve feed intake, because that would be our, our ultimate goal with that. Uh, what are your recommendations or thoughts on tryptophan today? Yeah, tryptophan is, is very important to keep the feed intake um, or recommendations uh, right now, it's um, about 0.22 um, tryptophan to lysine ratio. And this also has been shown that, well, the role of tryptophan is also to, I mean, it has shown that it can increase ghrelin production and the feed intake increase as you increase tryptophan. So I think this is something that we should consider also during the summer. and um, while you know heat stress is a different challenge compared to an enteric challenge, but we can somehow compare it as a challenge where the immune system is more active or there is other demands by the body. And we also seen uh, that when there is an enteric challenge, the demand for tryptophan, threonine, methionine increase. So I think it, it makes sense to consider those uh, ratios, uh, especially methionine and tryptophan higher during the summer. Yes, I think you bring up a really good point. There is a lot of literature out there that shows during periods of heat stress, the animal requires a large amount of, of glucose you know, to support managing that heat stress and that the immune system does in fact upregulate during a heat stress event. And so I think that's actually really interesting that we can in fact see this heat stress change become a physiological change. And, and we sometimes don't think about that, right? We think about it just, oh, the animal stopped eating, but we need to go further and think about, well, no, there's all kinds of activities as, as you've discussed in this presentation about the fact that we have all these internal things going on that we have to be able to support that pig for. Um, so one other question that came to my mind when you were talking about that methionine study, and it's just out of curiosity, did you go and look at the carcass on those animals? Were you able to collect any data on back fat or lean percent? We did. Um, we we saw also, this is a, so another detail about this trial, these were not um, pigs that were already ready to market, right? These were 60 kilograms pigs when we uh, collect this type of data. And we actually saw an improvement in carcass um, compared to pigs that were fed a lower level of methionine. And that, that is why it justified the economics um, on using a higher level of methionine, not just because of the, the final body weight, the gain to feed, and we also it did not affect negatively the, the, the hot carcass weight, rather improve it. Mm -hmm. 
Very good. Well, that's really interesting. I think this is a good opportunity to um, create awareness of this strategy because we just talk about the prices of oil and fat being so expensive. And this is something that we typically do during the summer. So what is left? What else we can do? And uh, I think it's, it's I encourage um, um, people to take a look of their methionine recommendations or requirements right now they're using and, and, and just take a look where they are. Mm -hmm. And I think you bring up a really good point too. When you think about that methionine data, um, again, so many of us, when we think about heat stress, we think about what's happening in the moment. So what what's happening in terms of feed intake, what's happening in terms of average daily gain and gain to feed while those pigs are in the barn. And so when we look at our ROI, unless of course, sometimes we're not getting paid on, on carcass merit, but we need to make sure we're considering that. Right? We need to make sure we're considering that there is also potentially an opportunity to bring in additional income once those pigs go to harvest as well. And, and so I think you bring up some really interesting points and thoughts for some of our producers that maybe are thinking more about what's immediate, what's happening in the barn, and using that as their ROI rather than looking at the whole picture. You mean comparing final body weight versus carcass um, parameters? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes we forget to look at carcass. And not everybody gets paid, right? Some just get paid on weight. But for those that are getting paid on a lean percent value, that needs to go into that ROI when they're thinking about making changes to their diets that could potentially add a little cost depending on where current market strategies are for ingredients, but um, again, could bring some added value. Correct, yes. When you increase amino acids or in this case, methionine, you will see a leaner, leaner, more, yeah, more lean percentage in, in the final carcass that can actually be more advantageous than just looking at the final body weight. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Maria, I see our time is, is kind of coming to an end. So before we jump over to our famous questions, I'd like for you to maybe give the audience just a, a quick summary or a few take-home points that, that they can use in their barns or in their, their businesses today? Well, I think I, what I wanted to say is that in general, we are all concerned in the markets of, of the ingredient prices today. And we want it to be helpful. We want to be supportive. And we are trying to, you know, to come with the strategies that can support producers. Um, some of the strategies I think that we are proposing right now is um, trying to lower the uh, protein level in the diet so you can open up more space for, for net energy. Uh, please, when you formulate diet with local protein diets, be very aware of the, of the quality of your ingredients and also use net energy to formulate diets. Um, the other point is that uh, Increasing the amino acid density will help you to make a better use of all your uh, amino acids uh, as, as we increase the density and pigs will grow better. And using a uh, higher uh, methionine level in the diet will actually maximize the uses of other amino acids. So all these three strategies paid off. Um, that will be my, my I guess my, 
my advice in these times. Um, there is no many ingredients, other ingredients that we could use, and we have to make our current diets more efficient. I think that that is the, the point. Very good. Those are excellent points for our listeners. It's time for our famous three. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts, MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming, swine management to the next level, cloudfarms.com. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Want to save up to 25% in labor time when cleaning your barns? With MS Top Foam Power, you effectively remove all historical pollution. MS Top Foam Power ensures the surface is perfectly clean and ready for disinfection. Find your dealer at www.msgold.eu. Well, Maria, we're, we're down to that point where we ask our, our three famous questions. The first question I'd like to ask you is, do you have a favorite spine resource that you'd recommend to our audience? I think mine is, well, like many of us, we'll use the NRC. Uh, it's always here on my desk. I think it's our standard. Everything that we do, we compare it to NRC. Uh, any deviation that we want to test, evaluate, we come back to NRC and we see what NRC says. So I think that is my resource, and I know many of us will use it. So unfortunately, nothing new, um, but it's so helpful that we just have it all the time next to us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, how about something that's not pig related? I'm sure that's probably something new to our listeners that you might recommend. So what, what would you recommend? Well, yes, um, I'm currently reading uh, the book by this, the, the last book of the speaker that we had during the Iowa Swan Day, Peter Sassane. So the end of the world is just the beginning. I attended the, the, the conference and it was so revealing, all the facts that he presented. I, I thought, I need to learn more about the details of, of, of this conversation. And um, I, I started the book. I'm enjoying it. He's a very funny writer, uh, the, same, the same as he was a, as a presenter. And it's a very engaging. And I felt today the world is changing so much that um, we don't know what's going to happen. And he speculated very concerning facts that scare me so much. And mm-hmm. I wanted to know what is the, the, the information behind those speculations. Uh, and yeah, I think it's, I recommend it. If you didn't attend the, 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 his presentation, um, I think the book will be a great resource to, to have a big picture of the global economy. Um, so the last question we like to ask really comes down to, you know, if you could identify someone in your life that you view as successful, what's a trait that you think that they possess that's allowed them to be successful? The person that I look up uh, very much in, in, in my professional environment, um, the quality that I see is collaboration. Um, we, I have learned working with this person that we cannot have all the answers for everything. We don't know every, we cannot know everything, right? But we should have somebody in a networking that knows everything about a subject that will help us really to 
have the most up-to-date and relevant information for a subject that we want to understand. And I feel that collaboration just makes things more efficient. We can uh, think faster, solve a problem faster. And I also feel that people who like to collaborate, they also like to teach. And to me, that's very meaningful. It's just so good to work with people who love to teach. Um, they share and provide information. And I think this is, this is something that I appreciate and I value and I like also to do because that set the stage for a long-term relationship of full of trust and, and, and you trust the information and you, you trust the knowledge and um, it helps you to, to grow and, and appreciate that relationship and just keep building more of that. Mm -hmm. I think that's an excellent trait. And it's certainly one we haven't heard much on this podcast. And so I thank you for sharing that one with the audience. I, I agree. I think that's a wonderful trait to have as an individual. So again, Maria, we do want to thank you for your time today. Uh, we greatly appreciate your insight on amino acids and heat stress, some very valuable information and some different ways of thinking about uh, maybe some ratios uh, beyond lysine and, and crude protein and managing that heat stress. Um, again, for our audience, this is Dr. Maria Mendoza with Avonic. And Maria, again, thank you for your time. Thanks to you guys for the opportunity. I enjoyed uh, talking to you. Thank you. Have a great day. Have a good one too. Bye.